Go to the book of Exodus this morning, Exodus chapter 3. We're going to begin reading at verse 7. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7, and then we'll turn the page over to verse fi chapter 5. But we'll begin at Exodus chapter 3 this morning. The word that the Lord has given me for us this morning is about freedom. And I know that every single heart longs to be free. We live in a country that has a core value of freedom. And God's core value is that you would know his love and experience freedom from every power of darkness. And the word of the Lord reads in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from the land, from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, the Jebusites. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Now chapter 5 and verse 1. And afterward Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may worship me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that we should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides all of this, I will not let the people go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the unction of the spirit that has been upon this service and our time together. We pray now that you would anoint my lips of clay to teach and preach the word of the living God. And I ask you to anoint the hearing of this congregation that we might have faith in what we hear. As we hear your word that we would be transformed by its truth. We ask that in Jesus name. And everyone said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. At the time of our text this morning, the nation of Israel has been in Egyptian bondage for 400 years. This is probably a fact that is well known to you as uh, many movies have been made about it. Charlton Heston many years ago made a movie called The Ten Commandments and um, a few years ago they made a movie, a cartoon about this uh, called The Prince of Egypt, I believe. And so this story is not unfamiliar to us, but I want you to think about it again this morning, not as their story, but as your story. Because the story of the Egyptians and the deliverance of God from under their yoke and under their oppression was one which relates to our freedom and our deliverance today. Pharaoh is an Old Testament type, an Old Testament picture of Satan and satanic work in the life of God's people. Satan's desire is to oppress and to destroy the people of God. 
It is his agenda, 100% and complete, to bring a destruction to your faith. And I want you to know this morning that there is a real devil. He's not a joke. He's not a cartoon figure that you see sometimes depicted in the cartoons or in the newspapers. Uh, but he is a real and a, a powerful enemy of every single human being. And he is a real and powerful enemy to the church. Although Satan is not an uh, omnipresent or omnipotent being, he was created by the God as an angel. He rebelled against God, and so he does not have universal power or universal control. But he does have as much power and as much control as people will give him in their lives. And Pharaoh is a picture to us of how Satan works and what his strategy is. Jesus spoke to us in the book of John chapter 10 about the enemy. He said that our enemy, that the devil, had come to steal, kill, and destroy. That is Satan's agenda for your life. I want you to know that because some people think Satan is their friend or somehow that he is their buddy. No, he hates your life. He hates your guts. He wants to destroy you. And these are the three things on his agenda, steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal from you what God has given you. He wants to steal your peace. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your satisfaction in God. He wants to steal your freedom. And he wants to steal that grace of God upon your life. He comes as a thief in order to take out of your life the things that God has promised you. Jesus said that the Son of God came through the front door and that he himself is the door. But that the one who comes through the back door or comes in through a window or across a wall is a thief and a robber. That's what Satan is. He is a thief and a robber. He comes with an evil intention into a life. He wants to steal the truth that you hear from the word of God. And many times he accomplishes this. Uh, sometimes you leave church blessed and excited. By the time you get to the parking lot, he's already stole the word and the joy and the peace that God gave into your life. You've got, to, you've got to put an end to that this morning. Say amen, somebody. He comes to steal. He comes to kill. The enemy's agenda is death. He brought death to the world. The Bible said that he came into the Garden of Eden, and he told Eve, you won't die if you eat of the fruit of this tree. Will you surely die? God had said in the day you eat of this, you will surely die. But he came and he contradicted the voice and the word of God. And he brought death and sin into the life of Adam and Eve, and by extension, death and sin into our lives. And so uh, he brings death. He brings death to marriages. He brings death to families. He brings death to careers. He brings death to finances. And ultimately, he wants to bring death to your spiritual life. He wants to bring death and deadness to the things that God has awoken in your spirit. The Bible said that we were dead in trespasses and in sin. That was our previous state. But Jesus came that we might have life. Say amen, somebody. And he came that we had, might have life and life more abundantly. The enemy came to steal and to kill and to destroy. His agenda is the absolute destruction of your life. He's playing for keeps. He's not trying to just do some damage. He is playing for keeps in your life. That's why I advise you. Don't play with the devil. Don't play with sin. Listen, friends, sin will always take you further than you want to go. And it will always cost you more than you thought you would pay. The devil is playing for keeps in your life, young man, young lady. He's playing for keeps in your life. That's why you can't let just anybody 
into your life. That's why you can't let evil influences into your life. You say, well, they do it, but I won't. They have those addictions, but I won't. They do drugs, but I won't. Friend, the enemy is playing for keeps in your life. And his design is, his design is to destroy you, to make you nothing, to make you a, a complete disaster for the rest of your life. But I have a promise from you, from the, for you, for the word, from the word of God. Jesus came to give you life. Jesus came to bless your life. Jesus came to lift you up out of the destruction and power of hell. Somebody say amen in the house of God this morning. So Pharaoh has made slaves of the people of Israel. They came to Egypt as a family of 70. Is there anybody in here that has a, is a part of a family of 70? When you count up grandma and grandpa and nieces and nephews and everybody else, some of you have bigger families than 70. Some of you, your whole family wouldn't sit in this church. You know, he, Jacob came into Israel with a family of 70, and when they left Egypt, there were 2 million people. And you, what I want you to see in that is that although they were in Egypt, the blessing of God was on their life. Although they were a small family when they came in, they became a nation of two million people when they went out. Why? Because although the enemy uses strategies to oppress and to try to contain the work of God in your life, there is a blessing upon your life. The people of Israel had a blessing upon their life. They were the sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The blessing of God was upon them. And so they began to multiply. They began to increase. They began to grow. And I want to give you an understanding of why there's adversity in your life. Do you want to have a little understanding this morning? Do you want some insight as to why there's adversity in your life? This is why. Because the enemy sees where you're going. The enemy sees the blessing of God on your life. And the enemy wants to stop that blessing. And he wants to stop the progress of God in your life. The enemy saw that in the lives of the, of, of the Israelis. They were prospering. They were multiplying. They were becoming a nation. And Pharaoh said, I've got to go in and I'm going to make them slaves. I'm going to oppress them. Or else they will become greater than Egypt. They will become greater than us. That's why there's adversity in your life. That's why there's trouble in your life. The enemy wants to stop the growth and the progress that God is making in you. That's why you can't let the enemy have one inch of progress in your life. You've got to hold on to what God has promised you and hold on to the blessing of God that is on your life. You see, if the enemy can have just a little bit of space in your life, He'll destroy it completely. He will annihilate what God has designed for you. But you see, if you will walk in obedience to God, the blessing of God cannot be stopped by the power of darkness. The blessing of God cannot be held back if you will walk in righteousness and in holiness before God. Can somebody say amen? And so the nation of Israel becomes slaves to Egypt because Satan wants to make slaves of everybody. He wants to make a slave of you. He wants you to do his bidding, to carry out his will and his purpose. The Bible tells us that God's people started to do something about this situation. 400 years they were in slavery. And then the day came when they decided that they were tired of being slaves. You see, anyone who wants to be free has to come to a moment in their life when they get tired of being tired. When they get sick of being sick, when you decide enough is enough. I wonder this morning if there's anybody in here that says enough is enough. 
I didn't hear anybody this morning. Is there anybody in here that says enough is enough? You see, until you've made up your mind that enough is enough, nothing is going to change in your life. What is the pastor preaching about this morning? I'm preaching about change. I'm preaching about the changes that you want to see in your life. The changes that you, uh, that you wish for and hope for. Those things that you, knew, you know are possible in your life. But you, you continue to be unable to bring change to your life. You've got to make up your mind that I'm going to see this thing change in my life. You see, if I say, well, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. And then I keep eating like I eat. And I don't exercise. And I don't go out for a jog. And I don't, uh, I don't stop drinking Dr. Pepper. Guess what? I'm not going to lose 10 pounds. Now, uh, you have to understand, nothing's going to change until you change. Nothing's going to change until your mind changes. You say, you say well, I'm going I'm to start living better. But you keep thinking the way that you're thinking. And you keep living the way that you're living. Nothing's going to change in your life until your mind has been transformed. Until your mind has been renewed. The Bible said we must be renewed in the spirit of our mind because you see if your head gets free the whole rest of your body will get free if your mind gets free the whole rest of your life will get free but if your mind is is bound and if your thoughts are bound and if the enemy can control the the way that you live he will control and make a slave out of your whole life they made up their mind I'm sick and tired. I am done with this. Enough is enough. And you know there is nothing more powerful than a believer who rises up with righteous indignation to say this is it devil. This is as far as you're going to go. Come on somebody. I'm preaching to some parents this morning that you need to walk into the lives of your children and set the devil in his place and tell him devil This is as far as you're going to go in the life of my children. This is as far as you're going to go in their minds. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about the authority that God has given you as a child of God. Some of you need to walk into your house today and cast the devil out of your house because he's living in the closets. He's living under the bed. He's living in your, he's, he's living under your pillow. You're letting him rule your life. You've got to decide. This is it. Enough is enough. I have a promise from God. I have a blessing from God. I don't have to live this way anymore. Until that happens, you will come in here. You will get your spiritual high You'll walk out, and you'll be the same man you were when you walked in. Nobody wants to hear this this morning. Nobody wants to hear this this morning. Because, you see, we've, become, we've started to think that church, that we just go to church on Sundays, and we just, we just get a little bit of God. And that's supposed to make a difference in our life. No, friend, you need a whole lot of God. You need God on Monday morning. You need God on Monday night. You need God on Tuesday morning. You need God on Wednesday morning. Come on, somebody. You need God in the middle of every day. You need a whole lot of God. And until you get a whole lot of God in the way that you think and in the way that you believe, you can't have any change in your life. Freedom is going to come when you decide. I'm going to do something about this. And they began to pray. They began to remind God of his promises. 
They began to pray, God, you told our father Abraham that we were going to come into Egypt, but you also told him that we were coming out. And so we began to pray that you will raise up a deliverer, raise up a man who can bring us out of this mess, raise up somebody that can bring us the truth. Come on, you've got to pray like that for America. You've got to pray, God, send us a man who will preach righteousness. God, send us a man who will bring deliverance. You've got to pray, God, send us a generation that will fear God, a generation that will believe the word of God. Come on, somebody, if you pray God will answer if you pray God will deliver if you pray God will hear your prayers he says if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. He doesn't say if Beville prays. He says if my people will pray. God's not waiting for the pagans to pray. He's waiting for you to pray. He's waiting for you to get on your knees and invoke the power of heaven in your life. They began to pray. They began to cry out to God for a deliverer. And God heard their prayers. And he raised up a man named Moses. The Bible tells us about Moses that he was born in the midst of the infanticide in Egypt. The Pharaoh was concerned about the growth of the Egyptians. And so he put out an order that every Hebrew child who was born a male would be killed, would be thrown into uh, the Nile, or would be put to death. This was a, 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 an attack against the deliverer that God had raised up. Watch God and how he works. The Bible said that Moses had, uh, his Moses' mother uh, delivered him. She had this goodly child. And she uh, loved that child. And so she didn't want to see him perish. She put him in a basket. And she put that basket on the river Nile. She abandoned him to the providence of God. She understood, I can't control the life of this child. It's going to have to be God who works in this. Can I just tell you, parents, you've got to let God work in the lives of your children. You've got to give them to God in prayer. She left him into the hands of God, and that little basket floated down the Nile past the crocodiles and the snakes and the, and the serpents. It, 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 uh, it floated down the Nile, and it came to stop in some bulrushes. And the scripture says that who among all people found the basket and this little boy except Pharaoh's daughter? And Pharaoh's daughter saw this baby and she just fell in love with it. She said, I've got to keep this. And she took Moses home. And now Moses is being raised by Pharaoh himself. Come on, somebody. Don't tell me God can't set you up. That God can't put you in the right place at the right time. And then you know what Pharaoh's daughter did? She said, you know what? We need somebody to nurse this baby. And so she said, go find me a Hebrew woman that can nurse this baby. And guess who they found? They found Moses' mama. And now Moses' mama. Come on, somebody. Moses' mama is getting paid to be Moses' mama. You can't tell me God can't do great things in your life. Come on, somebody. I ought to get excited about that because God will work out the details in your life. Moses was raised in Egypt, and here they are raising up the deliverer of Egypt in the house of Pharaoh. And while he grows up at the age of 40, he senses in his heart, in his life, that God has urged him and moved him and built him for the deliverance of the people of Israel. And unfortunately, when he tries to do that, he goes and he commits manslaughter. He, kill, he kills an Egyptian. And Moses finds out that you can't do God's will in your own strength, that you can't do God's work in the power of the flesh. And so he runs away. He runs into, into the wilderness, perhaps thinking that I'm done. 
My life is over. But you see, there was still a, a people that were praying. There was still a people saying, God, bring deliverance. God, set us free. And the Bible said that one day Moses was pasturing the flock of his father Jeth father-in-law Jethro. And he took that flock to the west side of the wilderness, to Mount Oreb, the mountain of God. And when he was there, he saw something that he, oh, that he was attracted to. He saw a bush that was on fire. This was not unusual because bushes in the desert catch on fire all the time. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to see uh, sometimes that hay bales would catch on fire. This was not an unusual thing. But what was unusual was that this bush was not being burned up. And so he drew near and he saw this amazing sight. As the Bible said that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the burning bush. Moses was having an encounter, personal one-on-one -on -one encounter with the Son of God prior to the incarnation. And God uh, began to speak to Moses. And this was his message to him. He said, I have seen the affliction of my people. Can I tell you this morning, first of all, God sees. God sees where you are. God sees what you're going through. God sees your need. You might see, you might feel like, Pastor, nobody understands. Nobody knows. Nobody sees what I need. But let me tell you, friend, God saw your life. He saw your need. He saw you crying when no one else did. He saw that, that desperate situation, that alleyway with no exit. He saw that place of trouble where you were. He knows exactly where you are this morning. He knows where you are spiritually, physically, financially, and emotionally. He, he knows every last cent in your bank account. He knows how much power there is in your life. He knows exactly what you need. And then he said, I have heard their cry. Do you know that God still hears our prayers? That God still hears the cry of his children? Come on, somebody. The Bible says that the gods of this world, they have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have a throat and a mouth, but they cannot speak. But our God, he can see. Our God, he does hear. Our God, he does speak. And our God is able to deliver. Do you know that your God hears your prayers? When you, when you shout to him in, in anxiety and in panic and you say, Lord, help me. Do you know that God hears your prayers? And when you whisper and you just say, Jesus, you know that God hears that too. You know, sometimes you don't even pray. Sometimes you just groan. Oh, and you know what? God hears a prayer coming out of that groan. And he, he has the ability to answer. Then he says to Moses, I have seen, I have heard, and I have and I have known, I am an understanding God. I am, I am aware of their situation. You say, Pastor, how could God possibly know what I'm going through right now? He lives up there in heaven. All of the angels at his beck and call. He, he doesn't have uh, any, uh, any idea of the problems that I face. No, friend. He knows. How does he know? Because God became a man. God became flesh and dwelt among us. He knows what it's like to bury a dead, a dead loved one. He knows what it's like to pay taxes. He knows what it's like to be rejected by his friends. He knows what it's like to go through the agony of trial and testing. He's been right where you've been. In fact, he went there ahead of you. He went there before you so that when you went through that valley, you would not walk through the valley alone so that you would have the presence of a God who knows and who understands. The Bible says such a high priest became us 
one who could sympathize with our weakness. He knows what it's like to be a man, and he knows exactly what you need. And this morning, God knows exactly the need of your life. And he says this to Moses, I have come down to deliver. Now we see God condescending toward man. You realize when you study the religions of this world, they're all religions about men who were men and then became God. They ascended to the status of God. But our God was God. And he descended to the status of man. He came to us when we could not come to him. He came to you when you could not come to him. Oh, friend, don't ever forget this about God, that you and I, we couldn't reach him. His standards are so high. He's so holy, so righteous, and so just. He's so good that we could not possibly live up to his standard. And so he came down to where we were. He came to our place of need. He came to our place of of anxiety and, and trouble and that he might be our perfect deliverance. The Bible tells us about a man in the Gospels who was a demoniac. He was, the Bible tells us, possessed by 2,000 demons. You know, one demon is enough to ruin your life, all right? You don't need any more than that. Say amen, somebody. And this guy had 2,000 demons. He was a complete disaster. He was living naked among the tombs. He would cut himself with stones. They bound him with chains and he would break those chains. The demons were destroying his life. And on the other side of the sea, Jesus was holding a good old-fashioned camp meeting. There were 20,000 people at the Campania. You, you know Campania, right? You know camp meeting. And they were worshiping God and singing. And Jesus was preaching up a storm. Jesus was delivering the word of God. And he was feeding the hungry. And he was carrying out this campaign. And then in the middle of that, he says, hey, disciples, get in the boat. We're going to the other side of the sea. And they crossed that sea. And on the way across that sea, they came upon a storm. Because the enemy knew where Jesus was headed. The enemy knew that there was a man over there that needed deliverance. And he tried to disrupt the plan of God. But Jesus calmed that storm. And when he calmed that storm, he came to the other side of the sea. And on the other side of the sea, that demoniac came to him. And that man who was possessed by 2,000 demons was delivered by the power and the authority of the name of Jesus. And you and I this morning are that demoniac. We were that man, that race that we could not get to the campania. We couldn't get to the camp meeting. Nobody would have picked us up and brought us to church. Come on, somebody. The church van would have said, no, you can't ride in here. You got to put some clothes on to come in the church van. But Jesus came to him because nobody else could. Come on, somebody. He came to you. You couldn't come to him. He came to you. He came to your scars. He came to your brokenness. He came to your chains. He came to your demons and devils. He came to your past. He came to your mess. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about the Savior who came, who saves because he loves, because of his compassion. He came and he said to Moses, I have come down to deliver you. I've come down to deliver the people of Israel. So Moses, in chapter 5, he goes to Pharaoh. Now I want you to notice the hubris of Pharaoh in this passage. The Bible said that Moses came to Pharaoh. And he said uh, to Pharaoh, the Lord God has spoken. Thus saith the Lord. Do you still tremble when you hear that? I hope you do. Because the Bible says that God is far away from the proud, but he draws near to the humble 
and those who tremble at his word. I fear for America today because we don't tremble at the word of God. We don't tremble at thus saith the Lord. But I believe this morning there's some people in here who still know God means business. And when God speaks, he does what he says. Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, thus saith the Lord, let my people go that they should worship me in the wilderness. I want you to notice something here. God goes to Pharaoh or Moses goes to Pharaoh on the part of God. And this is what he says. I want you to let the people go so that they can go and worship me. You see, we're talking about freedom this morning. There are two parts of freedom. First of all is freedom from. Say freedom from. The other part of freedom is freedom to. You see, God wants to give you freedom from so that you can have freedom to. He wanted to give them freedom from Egypt so that they could have freedom to worship. You see, Satan's after your worship. He's after your spiritual life. And so, God wants to give you freedom from, freedom from the powers of hell, freedom from the power of darkness, freedom from addiction, freedom from pornography. We're going to deal with all that in a minute. But I want you to see that. It's freedom from all of this so that I can go to all of that, so that I can go and worship. You know that God wants his people to worship him. That's why the enemy fights you coming to the house of God. That's why he fights you getting into the presence of God. Because he knows that when you worship, yokes begin to break off of your life. That when you worship God, things can't stay the same in your life. That's why he'd rather you fill your mouth with complaining and with aggression instead of fill your mouth with worship. But you see, God is looking for a people that will worship him in spirit and in truth. And so he goes to Moses and he says, let my people go that they might worship me in the wilderness. The Bible says in verse 2 that Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides all this, I will not let Israel go. I want you to notice the hubris, the pride of the enemy. He thinks that he can keep you. He thinks that he can hold on to you. He thinks that he has the power to control your life. Let me tell you something. The devil is wrong. Say amen, somebody. The devil is wrong. Pharaoh thought, who's God? Who's the Lord? I don't know him. Well, if you read chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, you will find that Pharaoh got real acquainted with who the Lord was. And the Lord said, I will show this Pharaoh who I am. And he sent nine plagues upon the nation of Egypt. And plague after plague after plague came from the Lord. And finally, the plague, the tenth judgment came upon them. And God destroyed the life of the firstborn of Egypt. And the scripture says that Pharaoh said to Aaron and to Moses, he said, take this people and go. Get on out of here. The same one that earlier said, I will not let you go. The same one that said, I don't know who the Lord is, has now bowed his knee and said, get out of here. If you don't go, we're all going to end up dead. You've got to get out of Egypt. And you know what else he said? He said, on your way out, would you bless me too? Can you believe this? This man came under the conviction of the power of a God who is able to do anything. Come on somebody I'm talking about your God that's why freedom is possible because your God is able because your God is powerful he said I don't know this God and I will not let you go and the enemy uses that line because he thinks he owns you and maybe he does you see the enemy owns some people 
because they've given him authority and they've given him power in their life. But guess what? If you gave him authority and you gave him power, you can take it back. Say amen, somebody. You can take it back. The authority that you have, you can take it back. You can say, devil, this is it. This is as long as you're going to reign in my life. And you can decide today that things are going to change in your life. That freedom is going to come into your life. Pharaoh thought he could hold them. You know, one time I went to pray for uh, a young lady that uh, they thought was demon-possessed, and I didn't know, and she didn't know either, and I said, are you demon-possessed? She said, I don't think so. And she looked like a regular 15-year-old uh, young lady, and then I began to pray in the spirit, and the Lord said, pray against the spirit of jealousy. And I said, okay, I'm going to pray against the spirit of jealousy. And then a man's voice came out of this little girl. He said, no, I'm not going to let her go. So, all right, we have a demon here. There was no more need for discernment. And, and uh, he said, you can't have her. She's mine. That's what the enemy thinks. He thinks you are his. But I'm here to serve notice on the devil this morning. I said, I'm here to serve notice on the devil this morning. We don't belong to you. We don't belong to sin. We don't belong to bondage. We belong to the blood of Jesus. Come on, somebody. We belong to the son of the living God. He is the one who purchased us with his blood, and we are his. And Pharaoh found that God was able. Pharaoh found that God could not be stopped. You and I serve a God that cannot be stopped. Freedom belongs to you this morning. Go to the book of Galatians in your Bible. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. I want you to read this this morning. We're going to study our Bibles for just a few minutes this morning. Then we're going to pray together. And we're going to believe God to do some things in our lives. You say, Pastor, I can't find Galatians. Don't panic. Don't panic. Just find it. It's in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 5. And verse 1, the word of God says, it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Therefore, do not be subject again to the yoke of bondage. He says, stand firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of bondage. Why did Jesus set you free? For freedom's sake. That you might walk in freedom. He set you free from so that you could have freedom too. He set you free from sin so that you could have freedom to live in righteousness. He set you free from addiction so that you could have freedom to live in the purity of God's grace in your life. He set you free from debt so that you could have freedom to give and to invest in the kingdom of God. Come on, somebody. He set you free from the curse so that you could have freedom to enjoy the blessing of God. It was for freedom that Christ Set you free. So stand firm. Say stand firm. Stand firm in what? Stand firm in the freedom wherewith Christ has made you free. Stand in the freedom of God. You have to stand firm this morning in the conviction. Number one, God has promised me freedom. You've got to know that. You've got to know that you know that you know. It's not God's will for you to be bound. It's not God's will for you to be addicted. It's not God's will for you to be in debt. It's not God's will for you to be miserable. It's not God's will for you to be always discouraged. It's not God's will for you to always walk under a cloud. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you this morning, it's God's will for you to be free. It's God's will for you to have perfect liberty. 
For you to have perfect liberty in Christ. He says, stand firm in that conviction. God wants me to be free. Stand firm in the conviction that Satan can't hold you. Satan can't keep what doesn't belong to him. There has been a transfer of ownership in your life. You belong to Jesus. And Satan can't hold what doesn't belong to him. God wants you free. Now go to, the, go to a few verses down in the same chapter of Galatians. And I want you to read together with me verse 19. Because verse 19 outlines areas in every person's life where the enemy wants to hold you in bondage. And these areas are some areas that you might be in bondage this morning. That you might need freedom in these areas. And so I want your eyes to see them. I want your ears to hear it. And then your mouth is going to pray the kind of prayer that's going to bring freedom into your life. And as I read through this list, and I explain some of these things, I want you to make a mental note. Is that me? Am I struggling with that? Some of you, you won't need much remembering. You'll know immediately. Some of you, you'll need to ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, am I dealing with that? Is that something going on in my life? I want you to be open to the Spirit of God speaking to you in this moment. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says that the works of the flesh are evident and that they are, first of all, he lists three sexual sins. He says immorality, impurity, and sensuality. These are areas where Satan wants to bind every single person in this room. And many of you have gained victory over this area of your life, but some of you have not. And this morning, God is speaking to your heart. He says, I want you free. Free from immorality. What is that? That's, that's uh, sexual practices that are contrary to the word of God. What do you mean, pastor? That means sexual immorality is sex outside of marriage and sex outside of the definition of marriage, which is between a man and a woman. God says, if you want to be free, I'll make you free from sexual immorality. You know that 60% of men in America are, are bound to pornography. That means that I don't have to shoot too straight this morning. I'm going to hit somebody. 60% of women as well. That blew my mind. Impurity and sexuality. Sexual sin is driving our nation. More and more our nation has become less modest and more sexually driven. It's not godly. God created sex. He put boundaries on it. And this morning, if there is that yoke of bondage in your life, he wants you free. You see, guys, he can change the way you look at women. He can change the way you look at the opposite sex. He can turn that perverted and destro destroyed mind that Satan has gotten a hold of and make it clean and make it pure. And he wants to do that in your life. He wants to give you complete freedom. I know you're afraid to say amen right now because you might think I'm talking to you or somebody next to you might think I'm talking to you. doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Guess what? God wants you free. God wants you free. God wants you free. And he wants you free so that you can be free from immorality and be able to go from that to be able to enjoy the blessing of God and the prosperity of God over your life and over your relationships. And then he lists religious sins. The religious sins are idolatry and sorcery. What is idolatry? Idolatry is setting up Anything in your life before God. Idolatry. Can, an idol in your life is anything in your heart that you value more than God. You know, 
Idols are not always made of stone and wood. Some people make an idol out of their house or out of their car, but a lot of people make an idol out of their husband or out of their wife or out of their children. Some people idolize their children so much they can't correct them. They can't tell them the truth. They can't put them in their place. They've made an idol out of their money, out of their job. And God wants you free from idolatry. Because when you're free from idolatry, you can go from worshiping a dead thing, a lifeless thing, a limited thing, to worshiping the living God, a God who has no limits to his power and no limits to his authority and strength in your life. He lists sorcery, which we know as witchcraft. That's when you go and you participate in the occult, whether it be through Ouija boards or horoscopes or having your palm read or going to a witch doctor. Any one of those things is a work of the flesh and will bring bondage into your life. It will bring bondage into your soul. But you know that word witchcraft has a lot more meanings than just that. It also means manipulation. People who use manipulation to get their way, who connive and twist and turn people's emotions in order to get what they want. This happens in marriages. It happens in families. It happens on the workplace. God calls it witchcraft, manipulation, trying to get other people to do what you want so that you can have what you want. God says it's witchcraft, and he wants it out of your life. He wants to give you freedom from that this morning. But can I go a little deeper? This word sorcery in the, in the Greek is the word pharmakia, from which we get the word pharmacy. You know that in the ancient times, they didn't used to call it drugs. They called it witchcraft. When you take a drug into your body in order to stimulate your mind or to get yourself into another space or another place, let me tell you, friend, you're practicing witchcraft. It's not just a high. It's not just a chemical thing going on in your body. You're actually inviting demons into your life. You're inviting unclean spirits into your life. I know you don't want to hear this this morning, but I've come to rip the lid off and let the devil know that this is going to be a house of prayer and a house where God sets people free. Come on, somebody. You can be free from the power of addiction. And that's not just addiction to, to uh, illegal drugs, but prescription drugs, which many, many people in the house of faith today in America are bound to prescription drugs. We hear every day about the opioid addiction in America. Can I tell you, God has a solution for that. It is the delivering power of the name of Jesus. And he wants to set you free. He doesn't want you to be bound. He doesn't want you to live driven for the power of a drug in your life, those are religious sins. Then he lists emotional sins. Maybe you said, Pastor, I don't have any problem with pornography. I don't have any problem with immorality. I don't go to witches, and I don't serve idols. But these are emotional sins. Enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, and envy. Why are there so many more of those than the others? Because... These sins are more common, and they're just as, just as demonic and just as powerful to destroy as these others which I've mentioned. Look closely at them. Enmities. Some of you have in your gene pool a fight spirit. You, you carry a chip on your shoulder, ready to fight anybody. God wants to make you free. He wants to take the fighter out of you and give you peace, to make you a peacemaker. Come on, somebody. Strife, jealousy. Oh, how jealousy can rule and destroy a life. It can destroy a marriage. It can destroy a career. 
You know, the Bible tells us that jealousy is the root of murder. Jealousy will destroy. Jealousy causes you to think that you need to have what someone else has. And that if you don't, that somehow they are not, that they are better than you. It creates hatred in your life. I've seen people who see a nice car drive by nicer than theirs and they hate the guy that's driving it. I think, well, what did that guy do to you? God wants you free from the power of that because he wants you to live in contentment. He wants you to know that he shall provide all of your needs according to his riches in glory. He wants you to know that he is jealous for you, that he will protect you, that he will defend you, that he will guide you by his love, by his grace. Outbursts of anger. Are you an angry person? Do you get mad over spilt milk and burnt tortilla? Do you slam kitchen doors? The Bible says be angry but do not sin. The emotion of anger is very natural. It's God-given. It's given to us by God so that we can run when we need to run and fight when we need to fight. But you see, if you let anger dominate your life, the Bible says that you are opening a door for the devil. Scripture says, do not let the sun go down on your anger so that you will not give an opportunity to the devil. When you carry yesterday's anger into today, you have given the devil an opportunity to come into your life. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean before the sun sets on your anger. You need to repent before God and repent before the people you got angry with. Well, I don't want to. Well, then you're going to be bound. Some of you are carrying around 20-year-old demons and anger from 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago. And God says, I want you free. I want you free. Because he's given you his promise. He's given you the, the promise of freedom in your life. You don't have to carry around the anger of yesterday. Let him take it. Let him handle it. Let him deal with it. Well, you don't know what they did to me. I don't know, but God knows. And God will handle that if you'll give it to him. Disputes. Dis dissensions. That's a lack of submission. Disputing with authority. Parents who have rebellious children. Your children are dealing with disputes. And with lack of authority, a, a lack of submission to authority. This spirit needs to be cast out of them. The Bible gives us a very simple remedy for casting out this spirit in, in the lives of children. It's called discipline. It's called correction. I know nobody wants to hear that. But the Bible said that if you spare discipline, you will spoil the child. Come on, somebody. I'm not talking about child abuse. I'm talking about putting your foot down and letting them know that you have divine authority in your house and that you have the authority that God has given you to be their parent. You're the parent, not them. Nobody said amen. I said, you're the parent. That rebellious spirit's going to grow up and it's going to make them be, lose, lose every job they get. That rebellious spirit is going to grow up in them and make them an impossible adult to be married to. You've got to set that thing right now so that they can see the freedom of God for the rest of their life. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about freedom for your children and your children's children. God wants you free, and he wants them free as well. And if you're dealing with a rebellious spirit, you're having trouble submitting to authority, bring it under the blood this morning. It's time to get freedom. Let me just say this. If you wonder why nobody will listen to you, ask yourself, am I under authority? Because here's the deal. The devil operates by authority. If you're not under God's authority, the devil won't listen to you one bit. 
You can scream and shout at the devil all day long. He's not going to listen to you one bit because you don't have authority. There's no, there's no badge behind you. There's nobody to enforce your edict. But when you stand under the authority of God and under the authority of a pastor, you have authority in your life now because you are submitted to God's rule and God's way of working. And now the devil knows if I mess with, if I mess with her, I'm messing with her pastor and I'm messing with her God. Come on, somebody. You've got to understand that you have authority in the name of Jesus. And if you're not submitting to authority, get under authority today. Don't dispute with God. Don't challenge God. Obey Him. Then we have the sins of pleasure, drunkenness, carousing, partying. Those desires to get the flesh and its natural response. God says, I want you free. I want you free from so that you can be free too. Free to what? Free to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You should be asking this morning, Pastor Isaac, how do I get free? How do I experience the freedom of God in my life? Can I give you the answer real quick? Can I give the answer real quick? Number one, humble yourself before God. You can't be free until you humble yourself before God. And you say, God, I'm tired. And I have failed. At this, I need your help. I need your power at work in my life. Number two, be honest with God. It, it's amazing to me how we think we can trick God. If I don't tell him, he won't know. Friend, he already knows. Guess what? Your wife knows too. And your husband knows. And your children know. Just because they haven't told you doesn't mean they don't know. Be honest with God. Say, God, I have a problem with addiction. I have a problem with pornography. I have a problem with lust. I have a problem with alcohol. Be honest with God. God, I have a problem with anger. I have a, a problem with jealousy. I have these issues going on in my life. And when you're honest with God, the Bible calls that confession. You tell God who you are. He already knows. But he wants to hear you say it. When you confess to God. The Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. I advise you to confess to God every day. Don't close your eyes in the morning or in the evening until you've confessed your sin to God and received his forgiveness of sin. Number four, repent and renounce evil. What does repent mean? It means to turn your back to sin. Once you've confessed to God, then you have to repent. And you renounce those things that have been binding you. Those things that have become a power, a yoke in your life. You repent of it and then you turn your back on it. And you don't go back. That means that if you have drug paraphernalia in your house, you go throw it away. Don't sell it on eBay. Throw it away. If you have pornography in your house, you go throw it away. You go delete it. Come on, somebody. You don't leave it in the back closet in case things come back because they will come back. You throw it away. Is anybody listening to the preacher this morning? You turn your back on that thing. If there's alcohol in your refrigerator this morning, go and open up that can and pour it out and get it out of your house. Come on. I'm talking about you turn your back. You renounce that thing. If you're holding a grudge, if you're holding on to anger, you're holding on to resentment, you let it go. 
and you stop chewing on it. You know how you do that? You start blessing the person that you used to hold a resentment and a grudge against. And I promise you, when you start blessing them, it's hard to curse them. It's hard to curse people while you're blessing them. It's hard to, it's hard to try to control and manipulate other people when you're praying God's blessing over their life. And finally, forgive. Forgive. You can't be fully free unless you forgive. I don't know who hurt you. And I don't know how long ago it was. I'm, I know the scars are deep and the wound is heavy. But unless you forgive them, you can't receive God's forgiveness. And you can't enjoy the peace that God wants you to have in your life. You say, Pastor, I can't let it go. If I let it go, they'll get away with what they did to me. No, they won't, friend. God is a just God. He's going to handle them. But he wants you to be free. And finally, worship. Let my people go that they may go and worship. You enter into a place of worship where you call upon the name of the Lord. You receive his presence because his presence meets every need in your life. His presence brings complete deliverance into your life. Here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to pray together. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me and all of us come into this altar this morning. Every person come into this altar this morning. And we're going to pray together. And after we've gone through this process, I want you to notice what we do. Because you're going to do this again over and over again in your life. We're going to walk through these, these steps that I've taught you this morning. And then we're going to worship. But we've got we've to deal honestly first. You don't have to tell me what you're dealing with. It's God who wants to know. It's God who wants to hear from you. And maybe I didn't mention exactly the thing you're dealing with, but I was in the neighborhood of it. The Holy Spirit knows. He's reminded you. He's told you. This is what you got to get out of your life. And this morning, I want you to, in your spirit, look, look out and see there's a promised land waiting. A broad land full of freedom and blessing that God has prepared for you if you'll walk by him, by his way. So say this with me, Lord, I come in the name of Jesus. I humble myself before you. I recognize my complete inability to help myself. I need your grace at work in my life. I've tried and I have failed every time I lean on my own strength. So this morning, I lean on your strength. And I'm going to be honest with you this morning. These are the things that I'm dealing with. Now just under your breath, right there quietly, confess to the Lord. Be honest with God. Just tell him what you're struggling with. Tell him what you're dealing with this morning. List it by name. 
Don't be afraid. He won't reject you. He loves you.